I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host Jordan Ron on ESPN. ESPN ESPN.com Giants reporter. And really, we're in uncharted territory right now because I went back and I looked at the history of Breaking Big Blue. As far as I can tell, started this podcast. First episode was the middle of that 2017 season. So never, I mean, never, not once, not one week since the middle of that 2017 season has Breaking Big Blue done an episode. We have never done an episode with the Giants. Holding a winning record until now. That's right. Giants are 1-0. and Big win on the road against the Tennessee Titans. Really just one of those feel-good wins, right? Not perfect. Far from perfect. Right? The first half was awful, actually. You're sitting there watching the first half. You're thinking, oh, my God. It's the same thing we've seen the last, you know, four or five years. They get shut out in the first half. They're giving up pressures left and right. But then they come back and win. We'll get to the details in a few minutes, but in a little bit, we're going to talk to, let me give you a rundown of what, what's, what's to come on this podcast, okay? We're going to talk to Chris Canty, former Giant defensive lineman, current ESPN radio host, newly married Chris Canty. We're going to talk to him in a few minutes. I'm going to then, at some point here, get to the Kadarius Tony situation, right? Seven snaps, you barely saw him, he didn't play. His only two touches came, what, in the second half, in the fourth quarter, basically. Ended up both being running plays, technically. I talked to a bunch of people on that, so I'll, I'll, give, you the, I'll give you the run, the lowdown on what's going on there. And also, I want to talk about the expectations for this team, for this season. Does it change now that the Giants won in Tennessee, that Dallas lost Dak Prescott, that on deck right now, think about this, at home, at home right now for the Giants, Carolina, winnable game. Giants are actually favorites. You got Dallas, no Dak Prescott, Monday night at home. And then Chicago at home again. I mean, some winnable, winnable games. We'll get to the fact of whether the expectations for this season really should change. But first, let's go over what we take away from the opener in Tennessee and really bring foot moving forward. And to me... The number one thing that I saw, the, we'll go over the good first and then we'll get over the bad. The number one thing that I come away from that game thinking is about the coaching staff, the aggression, obviously, right? They go for two at the end of the game, uh, just their approach in general, uh, you know, making sure to get the ball downfield at times, not being scared, even though their offensive line, quite frankly, could not pass block in the first half. But then they went into the locker room and they made halftime adjustments. They came out and said, okay, we're gonna we have to run the ball. We have to be successful running ball. We are we can't hold up pass protection. Jeffrey Simmons, by the way, on the Titans is an absolute beast. If you don't really know who he is, if you didn't know before that game, you probably know now. And if you still don't know, keep your eyes and ears open because the guy is basically one of the best defensive players in the league, playing on the interior of the defense. And he wreaked 
havoc. But the, so what did the Giants do? Brian Dayball, Mike Kafka going at halftime. They concoct a plan where they say, we need to make sure we run the ball. And what do they do? They rely on Saquon Barkley. Boom. 68-yarder right off the bat, right? More big runs. Uh, the two-point conversion play, I mean, I, I covered the Eagles back in the day, the Andy Reid era. That was Andy Reid's special, the two-point conversion, right? Andy Reid, by the goal line, two-point conversions, uh, just, you know, third and goals, like you'll see it all the time. Shovel pass. And what do we see in that spot? Mike Kafka calls what? Mike Kafka comes from Kansas City, where he worked with Andy Reid. He was with Andy Reid as a quarterback when he was a player in Philadelphia. What does he call? The shovel pass. So you love the aggression, because that was the one thing that really irked me about Joe Judge is, you know, he was like a field position guy. He was big into playing field position. Brian Dable was big into scoring points. And you saw that. You saw that to win, win the game. Okay, no, we're not going to be, you know, play it safe. Go for, you know, go for a kick the extra point. No, no. They were going to be aggressive. So I like that approach in general. That makes you feel good about him. And the, the adjustments, really. They came out in the second half. A whole new team scored all 20, 21 of their points, obviously. Uh, they got some help, for sure. A muffed punt by the Titans. Uh, actually, you know what? They didn't score on that drive because Daniel Jones threw the interception there, I believe, actually. Uh, but still, just a good first game. Good first game feelings. Now, I'm thinking... If they go for two there and they don't make it, you're disappointed. You're not feeling great. But at the same time, I still think you feel pretty good about what this team is and what the new regime is. I really do. I really do. I thought it was almost a no-win, a no-lose situation for Brian Dable at that point. Obviously, Saquon was unbelievable in that game. I, I told you all summer he looks great. The only question with him is, and it still remains, and it's going to still hang over him until he plays, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17 games. Can he stay healthy? Can Saquon Barkley stay healthy? Because when he's healthy, he's a good player, a really good player. He was a great player the other day. I mean, and I'll tell you what really, really stuck, stood out to me, that Saquon Barkley was just running harder with more purpose, lowering his shoulder. The third play of the game, I, I could see it right there. I'm sorry, not the third play of the game. Uh, the fifth offensive play, fifth offensive play, Saquon gets a swing pass. Go back and look at it if you want. Three or four yard gain last year, he would have stepped out of bounds. He would have avoided that contact. Not unnecessary to take the hit. No, no. This time, he lowers his shoulder, drives the guy three yards back. So instead of, it was second and 10 at that point. So instead of third and seven, third and six, if he just, you know, scoots out of bounds, he lowers his shoulder. Now you have third and three. They end up completing a pass to Wondell Robinson. That, to me, was like, okay, that's the Saquon you want to see. Running with a purpose, and you did the whole game. And the defense, under Wink Martindale, did a great job. There's no other way around it. They did a great job on Derrick Henry. Now, if you're going to be missing Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Ojolari, obviously they're two best top edge rushers, pass rushers. This is probably a good game to, ha to be missing them because you got to put in Jihad Ward. O'Shane Zimenez, who are, pro who are probably more stout run defenders than the other two, especially at this point in their careers. You get to put those guys in, and they played great. I mean, Jihad Ward was unbelievable. Dexter Lawrence played really well. Thought he played a good game. And Leonard Williams, especially at the beginning, uh, was excellent. So 
the Giants defense passes the first test. I was wondering. I didn't think they'd be able to hold up, especially against the pass. Now, we'll talk about some of the weak points in a second. The inside linebacker spot, start, coverage. I mean, Dontrell Hilliard scored two touchdowns. They were just targeting him. They said, okay, let's get him one-on-one against these linebackers. Remember, no Blake Martinez. So it's Austin Calitro and uh, Tay Crowder. And it's okay, fine. We'll just match Dontrell Hilliard, who, by the way, had zero career touchdown receptions coming into the game. Now he has two. So that's going to be something to watch. The Giants, I know, are out there, by the way. They have at least poked around on inside linebackers, veteran inside linebackers, because they know that that spot is a weakness right now. So they're looking. We'll see if they ultimately uh, land one. But again, I've said this before and I'll say it again. The Giants are trying to work on veteran minimum salaries. They don't have a lot of money. They don't want to spend a lot of money. They don't want to make any moves. They don't want to sacrifice anything more into the future. So they're working on that veteran minimum salary. See if they could get someone. Uh, the offensive lineman, I talked about the pass protection. That was a downer in the first half. I believe Daniel Jones in the game was pressured on 18 of 26 dropbacks. That's a crazy number. No quarterback, trust me, can uh, sustain that and play successfully, consistently successful. If you're under that much pressure, the Daniel Jones interception, awful. That one, I mean, just stared down Saquon. I don't know what he was doing, but you do have to. And I, I love Brian Dable going up to him, you know, and telling him, hey, we can't we can't be doing that. You know, that that's not acceptable. That's going to cost us games if we do that. And Daniel Jones, trust me, he could take it in stride. So but that interception was, was just awful. And. Leaves more questions about Daniel Jones that we probably had before. I thought he played a pretty good game. If you think about it, that's like the only pass you could sit there and pick apart and say, that was a terrible pass. That was a terrible play. But it was in such a key spot that it almost overshadows a lot of the, almost all the good that he did. So I, and I'm the, the forced fumble, I mean, uh, the sack fumble, I'm not really going to even place on him he, the, when the guard gets beat off the bat like that, like a basically no hitter whiffs. Uh, and you get hit from behind while you're trying to throw the ball in less than three seconds. That's that's tough to live that way. So now the Kadarius Tony situation saw him on seven snaps, seven. Right now, I tried to warn last week that, hey, it doesn't look like he's starting. It doesn't look like he's going to play that much. Now, the reason and I've talked to a lot of people about this is really just he's got to get on the practice field. Right. He was injured. He was injured in the spring. He was injured in the summer. Like, he needs time in the offense. Like, they don't feel confident enough just to throw him out there. And even when Wondell Robinson gets injured, Richie James goes in that spot because he's playing, he's like the, the, the full-time slot guy. Well, Tony was playing mostly, you know, he slides in for certain packages on the inside, but he was playing mostly on that outside spot that you saw Sterling Shepard play this summer. So he's got to get out there on the practice field. He's got to learn the offense to the point where and I say learn the offense, not like he doesn't know the offense, but the intricacies of the offense, that the only way you're going to do it is by being out on the field and getting uh, experience in this offense. It's a difficult offense. I had somebody say to me a couple weeks ago, the wide receivers basically at this point still don't really know what they're doing in Brian Dable's offense. And then you even saw, like for, I think it was the first third down, Kenny Galladay's out there, his hands are in the air, didn't look like he knew what he was doing. Uh, Daniel Jones rolls out play action against his body to the left, and there's no receivers out there to the left. So someone, it appeared, ran a wrong route. Maybe Galladay. Not positive on that. 
but it sure looked like it. But that's the deal with Tony. So they said, okay, he hasn't practiced a lot. We need to, he, he's got to earn that playing time by being on the practice field and getting experience in this offense. But he hasn't been. So we're only going to use him in specific packages. And what Brian Dable said is true that they only got to so many plays in those specific packages. And probably as we move along here, so I think this is the expectation. This is the big question. Like, are we going to see more of Kadarius Tony? I think we're going to see it slowly expand as we move forward here. I'm talking about his role, his role in this offense. You're going to see it get a little bigger and bigger. And then you hear Brian Dable talking about, okay, so the left guard spot was uh, Ben Bredesen and Josh Azuda. And that's likely going to be, again, both guys are going to get an opportunity here week two against Carolina. And when Brian Dable was talking about that spot, he kept saying, Ear- they both earned the right to play with their performance on the practice field. Well, Kadarius Tony wasn't on the practice field. So he hasn't earned the right to play with his performance on the practice field. He was dealing with a hamstring injury in recent weeks. He was limited. Before that, he was out in spring. He had a knee procedure. So, But little by little, we're going to see his role increase, his snaps increase. It's not going to be like, okay, this week, Kadarius Tony's going to get out there and play 40, 50 snaps. No, I think maybe you might get like more towards like 15 snaps this week, maybe like 20, 25 the next week. And slowly, little by little, he'll become a bigger part of the offense as long as he stays healthy and as long as he stays on the practice field. That's the big part right there. He's going to have to practice, get more time in this offense so he becomes more comfortable in this offense. Daniel Jones becomes more comfortable with Kadarius Tony. They're on the same page. And the little, you know, the little points that, you know, the third and fourth year in Buffalo, they're making look easy. The Giants offense still isn't struggling with. And I think that's what we're going to see with the Kadarius Tony situation here in these next couple of weeks. And he did a good job handling it, to be honest with you. Brian Dable brought up, you know, him jumping, you know, 15 feet off the ground. That's hyperbole right there. If you don't know what that is, kids, look it up in the dictionary. But jumping 15 feet off the ground in celebration, he's into it when they win. Uh, I'm talking about Kadarius Tony, right? So he, you know, he's all excited. He's into it. Uh, at, you know, we spoke to him on Wednesday in the locker room. Handled it well. I even asked him. I said, you know, with your playing time, what's what's that disappointment level? And he said, disappointment. What di- what disappointment? I'm paraphrasing. And he said. You crazy, man, right? So, you know, we won. You're crazy. Why would I be disappointed? Well, because not everything's related and intertwined. Things could be mutually exclusive. Like, you could be disappointed with your playing time, but happy with your with the victory. You Those, those two feelings and experiences can exist at the same time. So, still, right? The fact that he said the right things. He did the right things during the game. Yeah, you could tell. He was a little, he seemed frustrated during the game uh, that he wasn't playing, especially when Wandell Robinson goes out. We'll see, by the way, on Wandell Robinson. Doesn't look great for this week. Uh, and then uh, Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Ojolari, maybe better shot that they play this week. Still not certain. We'll have to see what they do at practice on Wednesday. Was not overly encouraging, but there's more time for them to practice this week. More. For them to ramp up. Uh, at least I saw Kayvon Thibodeau running in some shape or form for the first time since the injury. So that's a positive. So stay tuned. Follow me. 
for more updates on that situation of who is going to play and who is not. Now, as far as the expectations for this team now, let's think about it. They're 1-0. They got a good road win. Now, should you sit there and say playoffs? 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 No, let's not get carried away just yet, right? Let's see what happens this week. Because now, this is still, I think I think this Carolina team is better than most people give them credit for. Now, they lost their opener uh, to Cleveland, which was a tough game, tough loss. They lost in like the final seconds on a field goal. They take the lead late, though. It was a little disappointing. I mean, you're like, okay, they're going to win. I mean, Cleveland's got the ball. Remember, Jacoby Brissett's their quarterback. There's like a minute left. Carolina just kicks a field goal to take the lead. They're about to steal that game. And they let Jacoby Brissett drive down the field for a winning field goal. The de- their defense is supposed to be good. That's a little disappointing and a little head-scratching. But I still think the Carolina Panthers team is a little better than we give them credit for. Number two defense in the NFL last year. Super fast. Watch them play on defense. Super fast. They added Baker Mayfield, obviously, at quarterback. Is he great? No. Is he an upgrade from what they were playing with last year? Absolutely. And then they're basically re-adding Christian McCaffrey to the mix. He hasn't played much in the last couple of years. As right now, he's healthy. So given that, you look at the team, they they redid their offensive line. They got a rookie left tackle, though, that the Giants may be, expo- be able to exploit, Ika McQuanu. But remade offensive line, things to like about the Carolina Panthers. Now, if the Giants do win this game, though, then we maybe might have to reset those expectations. Then I don't think it's crazy to sit here and start thinking, you know what? Getting a playoff spot's not impossible. It's not crazy. We're 2-0 and with two home upcoming games against the Dallas Cowboys with no Dak Prescott and Cooper Rush as the quarterback and the Chicago Bears. And then down the line, I still got two games with Washington, right? Certainly winning one of those is not out of the question. You have Jacksonville. You have Detroit. You have Houston. You have Seattle. I'm not saying they're going to win all these games, but there's some very winnable games out there. So if they're sitting at 2-0, and I say then maybe you, we could, you could start thinking that a little bit. Still be, have tempered ex- expectations, but you could dream. In the meantime, let's see what happens this week first. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, we got one of my favorite guests right here. The great Chris Canty, host of Carlin and Canty. Uh, what is it, 3 to 7? Do I got the right hours again? You got it. 3 to 7. 
ESPN Radio. Make sure you catch it. Straight off the safari, Chris Canty. Congratulations, <laughs> newly married. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it because uh, we were just talking about this. It's the last two-week vacation of your life until you retire now. No question about it, man. But we enjoyed it. We made the most of it. And I'll say this. I enjoyed that Giants victory on Sunday down in Tennessee, too. I'm sure you did. Well, let's get to that right now real quick. So it's been a while, right, since we have seen one of these giant season opening victories, 2006, you know, to be exact. And that happens to coincide with the same year that the Giants last made the postseason. So we're feeling good. You're feeling good, right? You watch that. What What is it that when you watch that game and you watch the result and the way it sort of panned out, big second half, makes you most optimistic about this team or the organization really as a whole? Well, Jordan, just their ability to be able to control the line of scrimmage. To me, that was the most exciting part, especially in the run game, right? You're talking about yep. Saquon Barkley being able to rush for over 170 yards, and then you're talking about 164 yards. Then you're talking about holding Derrick Henry in that Tennessee rushing attack under 100 yards. Those are big things for me, especially when you look at where this organization invested its resources, right, in the way of draft picks, in the way of cap dollars. When you start to look at the different players that they've added, think about Dexter Lawrence, think about mm-hmm. Larry Williams, thinking about drafting, you know, those guys to be stalwarts in the middle of your defense. Then you think about your offensive line, Evan Neal. Think about going out and getting Mark Lewinsky. Also having Andrew Thomas, you used a top five pick on him a couple of years ago. Those tar- start, those type of investments are starting to pay dividends. You're starting to see the return on that because when you looked at the running game, and you mm-hmm. broke it down on the all 22 and you and you actually looked at the tight copy as well. There are a lot of those running plays where you got a hat on a hat. And I think under those circumstances, you can actually see how special Saquon Barkley can be. And I also got to give some love to Saquon too, because I think he did tweak his running style a little bit. You saw a guy that was running behind his pads. He was decisive in his cuts. He got north and south. And I think that's going to make a difference in terms of being able to maximize the space that that offensive line is able to create for him. And conversely, on the defensive front, I mean, those guys clogging up the middle and get, hitting Derrick Henry before he really gets a chance to get going, to me, that was the most optimistic sign because I know a lot of Giants fans out there know this. The Giants, when they're competing at a championship level, they're really strong at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. So that was the thing that I was probably most encouraged about. You brought up Saquon, and I totally agree with you. I, I thought – so he catches a pass, I guess it's the second drive, right? And he's near the sideline, and it's not going for a first down. It's like a three-yard gain, four-yard gain. And last year, Saquon Barkley would kind of go out of bounds in that situation, right? He would have just, mm-hmm. just kind of shied away from that contact. And he put his head down, you know, and drove. It was you know, Christian Fulton, the, the cornerback for the Titans at the time, and drove him back three yards. That, to me, said a lot about, oh, wow, okay. I see a different Saquon Barkley, and it seems like you did as well. And you've been around guys. I mean, Saquon, he's been in, you know, FU mode to everyone really since the beginning of this year. How much of an effect do you think that has on players when you have a guy who's basically getting his butt kissed his whole life, right, telling him how good he is because he has been awesome, goes through some hard times, and now sort of, you know, I I know Robert Sala said this, but he, he was taking receipts on guys. And he wants to prove people wrong. I, I really do believe that. No, I do. And you can see it in the attitude that he's he's playing the game with. And, and I think you actually 
had a moment that encapsulates what we're talking about when he was able to get into the end zone on that two-point conversion, that yeah. shovel pass, where he has two Tennessee Titans defenders that have got him dead to rights, and yet he's able to somehow make a miss. Those guys hit each other, and he squirts in the end zone, and what does he do? He Lowers flips the ball. He, oh, flips, he lowers yeah. his head, he gets in the end zone, and he flips the ball and jumps up. In that moment, you saw this this release, this relief from Saquon. And I think it, that, that gives you a little bit of insight into, you know, the frustration and the, 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 the agony that this guy's been going through the last couple of years, not being fully healthy and not being able to contribute to the team in the way that he felt he was capable of based on his first two years in the National Football League. So I was happy to see Saquon have that moment. And it's nice to look at the rushing leaderboard and see the New York Giants running back at the top of it. So I got to imagine that it was a special game for him. And Jordan, I'll say this. I mean, Saquon Barkley was really the one that got it going, right? The first touch of the second half, he takes it 68 68 yards. That first drive was all him. It was four plays, but he started it with the 68-yard run and he capped it with the four-yard touchdown run, which he put his head down and he got in the end zone on. I mean, he was the one that got it going. And then once that play happened, you can start to see that that confidence was growing. The next possession, you start talking about Sterling Shepard, you know, being able to make the most of Christian Filton having his eyes in the backfield. Yeah, Daniel, Jones picks up, Daniel Jones picks up on it and goes through his progressions, gets to the backside, and hits Sterling Shepard in stride, and then you got another touchdown. So you started to see some of that belief. But Saquon Barkley was the catalyst for all of that. And I think that's what Giants fans and – quite frankly, people in the building have been looking for from Saquon to be the catalyst for why this team can believe that they have a chance to win each and every Sunday. And so it was great to see from an individual level what Saquon Barkley was able to accomplish, but overall how that in turn impacts the team's success. Yeah, exactly. Because even when he has been great, it hasn't led to winning games, right? It hasn't equated directly to wins. And, you know, he, 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 where he was sort of like the centerpiece of that. Granted, a lot of that, a lot of that ends up not being your fault when the team around you isn't isn't good enough. But so now we see this from Saquon. You mentioned the offensive line. We saw in the first half when they were trying to pass block, they were kind of getting beat up a little bit. They get yeah. to the run blocking, which I think is their strength here, and it shows in the second half. They're obviously much better running ball sets up sets up them their ability to make some plays in the pass game. So going forward now. How possible do you think it is and how much you think, how realistic you think it is that this becomes, at least in 2022 terms, uh, you know, a fairly relatively uh, run heavy team? Well, I think that's what you have to do, right? If you can't hold up in straight drop back pass protection, then your alternative is to rely on your run game. And that that plays into, you know, the strengths of your team from a personnel standpoint. So I, I like the idea of the Giants being a run-heavy outfit. And I'm going to leave it up to Brian Dable and, and offensive coordinator Mike Kafka to dial up the X's and O's, but I'm sure that they can do it in a variety of different ways. You saw them open up the set an awful lot against the Tennessee Titans, but they can also condense the formations as well if the matchup dictates that. So I, I just I know that I've got a head coach that can scheme up the X's and O's and create situations where he can mitigate the, the deficiencies that the offense has and exploit the deficiencies of the opposing defense. Before, I didn't have confidence in being able to say that about the Giants' offensive play callers. 
But with Brian Dayball, I'm fully confident that that's going to happen. And you can see that the game is not too big for him, right? Mm-hmm. The, the management of the overall game and then being able to give coaching points to his players while he's in the game. I mean, one of the things that I loved about that performance was Brian Dayball getting into Daniel Jones's face after he throws that interception in the end zone in the second half. A play that Why? absolutely can't happen. Well, here's the thing. What do you like? What, what, what is, like, as a player, you're a defensive player. What do you think when you see that? Obviously, they probably don't see it during the game. Let's say you see it on TV afterwards. Yeah, well, here's the thing. You can't have a coach preach account- accountability as a part of a culture change and then not hold the quarterback accountable, right? The, soul, the guy that has the biggest impact on whether our team has success or not. And so I'm willing to dismiss the sack fumble that Jeffrey Simmons forced early on in the game, that turnover, because, uh, I mean – the left guard gets beat clean yeah. off of the snap with the side scissors. It was but, two point, I think, eight seconds where he basically gets hit from behind while he's trying to throw the ball. That's that's tough. Yeah, that's that's, that's lightning tough. quick. That 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 can't happen. Ben Bredesen has got to be better in that situation. But the interception is within Daniel Jones's control. I mean, he's got full control on whether or not he throws that, that ball. Play. That's a terrible decision. It was, and that so was you know play. you can save you can save points by just throwing the ball out of the back of the end zone. So mm-hmm. I love the fact that Dayball got in Daniel Jones's face. And guess what? It sets the tone for everybody else. If he can undress the quarterback in the middle of a game, guess what? He can do it to you and you. And so I think when you start to have the conversation about accountability and getting guys to realize their full potential, that's a great start in terms of Brian Dayball letting everybody know what this is going to be moving forward. And you I know, love as we that. sit here and you say that, I think, okay, Remember, where does Brian, where did Brian Dable spend most of his years as a coach? In New England, right? New England. And yeah. what was like Bill Belichick was known for that, right? He would go out of his way to hold Tom Brady, who by the way is at like a completely different like 17 times stratosphere than Daniel Jones, and he would still go out of his way to make sure he held Tom Brady accountable to show to the rest of the team, hey, nobody is exempt. And I, and and the, for Day, for Dable to do that in the first game, I think I, I agree with you. It's definitely it definitely should be looked at as a positive. So, anything you've seen that you saw in that game, or that you've heard or whatever, between Dable and the Daniel Jones, that makes you any more or less confident that that combination can work, and that maybe we can get the see the best and get the most out of Daniel Jones. Well, Jordan, I'm hoping that Daniel Jones can get this thing turned around. But what has been the biggest issue for Daniel Jones since he's been here? Turnovers. Turnovers. And he had two turnovers, and one was costly in the second half when your team is trying to win a football game. So I do believe that some of that can be coached out of you. But Bill Parcells used to always say, I give a guy three years to show me who he is, then I'm going to make my decision accordingly. Well, it's year four for Daniel Jones. So at some point, we got to start talking about cutting down on the turnovers because – you know, that that causes you to lose games, especially on the road against a team that had the best record in the conference last year. So I, I want to believe that Brian Dayball can get the best out of Daniel Jones, but I just don't know what that ceiling is going to be. And I wish I could definitively say the Giants had an answer at the franchise quarterback spot, but uh, sitting here today, I can't. What do you think when I say, because this is my opinion, that that ceiling of Daniel Jones is probably Ryan Tannehill-ish. Well, I mean, if it's Ryan Tannehill, you can live with that. I mean, listen, Ryan Tannehill. Can you, though? That's you, that's you can, the dilemma is I think he's in that range. But do you want to build around that, right? Because now you have to invest in it. You you want to build around that? Is that good enough to build around? Well, I mean, 
Tennessee is, is, is a pretty good situation, right? Since Ryan Tannehill took over the starting job. I mean, you're talking yeah. about that team being in the playoffs. You're talking about that team having back-to-back double-digit winning seasons. So, I mean, uh, listen, they've been in the playoffs three straight years with Ryan Tannehill as their starting quarterback. If you're the New York Giants who haven't been in the playoffs since 2016 <laughs> and who haven't been over 500 since 2016 until now, that's incredible. I think you'll, I think you'll take – Daniel Jones being Ryan Tannehill. The only question is, I don't, I don't, I don't know that we're ever going to see Daniel Jones have that Ryan Tannehill type transformation. And we also got to remember, it took Ryan Tannehill leaving the team that he was drafted by and going somewhere else, right. in order and being to surrounded by the right talent. Exactly, that's the other part of it. So, um, yeah, it's a tough situation that DJ is in. It's a tough situation that the Giants are in. Um, but this is a show and prove year for DJ, no doubt about it. And if he doesn't definitively answer that question, then I suspect that the Giants brass is going to move on. You see Wink Martindale, you see that defense. Uh, you know, they were missing their two top edge rushers, which if you're going to be missing your two top edge rushers, it might the game that you might want to do it is the game where you're going against the running team, right? Because then that you know, Jihad Ward played a tremendous game. O'Shane oh, Simmons did too, by the way, on the other end. But overall, your first impression of Wink Martindale is? Well, I mean, I I, I played for Wink, so I, I pretty right. much I meant Wink Martindale what, with the Giants is. Well, yeah, I, I knew what to expect. Wink is going to try to do whatever he can to manufacture pressure, and he's going to stop the run. Like, he's going to commit as many guys to the line of scrimmage that he has to in order to stop the run. They're, they're not going to run the ball down your throat. I knew that much. And uh, I also know that Wink – is going to do what he ever has to do to get pressure. Like, even if it means committing more guys to the rush, if it's got to be five or six-man pressures, that's what he's going to do. And so I don't think there was any departure from that, from what we saw on Sunday against the Titans. You come into this season, right? What was what were your expectations for this team? What was your what was your win total? Uh, it wasn't high, Jordan. I, I got to be honest. <laughs> I thought a good season for the Giants was seven or eight wins. Okay, well, I was at yeah. six, so I'm just curious. They win that game. Dak Prescott goes down, so now they face, you know, Cooper Rush in what, week uh, week three next week on Monday night. They yeah. got the Panthers, which is a winnable game at home. Not an easy game for them, for sure, but a winnable game. Mm-hmm. You know, Cooper Rush, no no Dak Prescott, and then they got, you know, the the Chicago Bears, and the Giants are at home for that one as well. So you're looking at it now, okay, there's some winnable games there. Three very winnable games, and now you're sitting at one and zero. Does the do your expectations change at all? I don't know if I'm ready to say that my expectations have changed, but I I feel much better about the start of this season. And Jordan, I feel good about the coach, which is saying a lot. And I know it's early; it's only one game, but it reinforces a lot of the things that we heard about Brian Dayball when he was with the Buffalo Bills, when he was with the New England Patriots. I just feel like this is a coach that's not afraid to put action behind the words that he's preaching and his his philosophy for his football team. I mean, the decision to go for two and go for the win rather than tie the game up and see what happens from there, I thought that was aggressive. But again, that's what we've been hearing from Brian Dayball all offseason. We're going to be an aggressive team. Mm -hmm. Well, when the players see that and, and, and you have success doing it that way, that just reinforces all of the messaging, which gets the entire locker room believing in what the coaching staff is trying to get them to do. 
So, I mean, su- success begets success. And so I think that's, that's going to be huge for Brian Dayball moving forward in terms of trying to establish his program and put the, putting the infrastructure in place for sustained winning. And you could see, I guess, why Wink Martindale is the perfect match for Brian Dable on the other side. Because if Brian Dable is going to be aggressive, we God, we know Wink Martindale is going to be aggressive, right? <laughs> oh, oh, no doubt about it, man. My man Wink ain't never seen a blitz that he don't like. <laughs> no, he he's no BS. He's just a no BS guy in general. Am I right about that? I mean, that's oh, my no impression. question about it. No question about it. And every player that's played for him loves him. Yeah, loves him. Absolutely loves him. I I get that as well. So let me hear. What what is that? What give me a rundown of what stands out about an African safari that you went on? Right, you go on your honeymoon, you go on an African safari. Where where are you? What country? I'm in Botswana for the safari. Botswana. Yeah. What is the the craziest animal we see out there in Botswana? Um. So you see the lions, the pride of lions. You see the leopard. The leopard is probably the craziest one, man, because the leopard is a little bit of a loner. And you would think that, you know, he's going to kind of move like the cheetah and like the lion. But the leopard is an ambush predator. Like he's jumping out of trees. He's popping out of bushes and, and dugouts. Like it's just, it's wild. And, and they're not so you're watching the leopard, like, attack other animals yeah i mean literally the leopard was in a tree about 30 feet high and jumps down and gets an impala and kills it and it's just sitting there now the thing is they usually hunt at night so you don't really see them but this was right around dusk so the sun was fading it was unbelievable so i would say the leopard is probably the coolest to me but i mean we had a chance to see the hippo and they've got tusks. We got, we saw Cape Buffalo. We saw porcupines. We saw giraffes everywhere. Uh, we saw elephants everywhere. It was just, it was incredible. And Jordan, when I say that we are around these animals and we're seeing them, you're talking about being five or six feet away from them. Wait, you know, that's- so explain this to me because I'm not a very smart person. And I've never really asked anybody or been around a, a safari like this. How do you go and do this and stay safe so make sure the leopard doesn't come by you or attack you? Well, I mean, you have a guy that's there with you, so that I know. That's but like, really how far away? Started. How far away are you? Like, are you in something that protects you? Like, what, we're, how, in a, how does we're, that we're in a, we're in a raid, like a raised safari jeep. So, I mean, they usually don't attack the jeeps, um, and I say usually with air quotes. <laughs> well, um, if yeah, there's a chance, yeah, I mean, I'm out. By the way, yeah, if there's but, a but chance the they're attacking the jeep, I'm out. Yeah, exactly. But if you step out of the jeep, then you got some serious problems. So that's how that works. Ah. Okay, so you get strict instructions not to go outside the Jeep, put your hand outside the Jeep, anything like that? Jordan, the camp that we were staying at, when the sun went down, in order to get you from the dining area to your room or to your, you know, I guess, your, your your hut, they had to have one of the guides escort you. Like, that, that's how serious it is because yeah. you're, in, you're in the wild. This is not... It's not really a park. It's it's their natural habitat, and they just so happen to build a resort area in the middle of it. But you you got everything around you. I mean, we we had a little balcony with a pool on it, and one morning the elephants wake us up because they're drinking out of the pool. Like that, that, <laughs> that, like that's that's how wild it is. But it was it was really incredible, man, to see all of these amazing amazing animals up close and personal. Chris Canty, congratulations. 
Uh, you get to go, you get married first, which obviously is the number one thing of the situation here, right? The monumental uh, moment in your life, right? When you get married and you don't have kids yet, that's like the single greatest thing you've ever done. No right? doubt. So no doubt. you get that, you go on your safari. That's amazing. You're away for a couple of weeks. You're smart enough. By the way, Chris Candy, he told me this before. He plans his honeymoon and comes home on the Saturday before the NFL starts on Sunday. That is professional planning, Chris. I am impressed. <laughs> That's how you oh, do it. Of that's course. how you was, do it. Was there any other way, Jordan? I mean, that's what you have to do, right? Yeah. You have to do it's it. Like you can't the, miss week that's one. That's the, the antithesis of the friends who, you know, they get married on football Sundays, and you're like, what are you doing? Like, yeah, you they're get just married on football Sundays. That, that's like against the rules. Yeah, they're bad people, Jordan. I, I, I agree. I have a hard time trusting those kind of folks. I agree. Well, obviously <laughs> you're not one because you're back in time, and he gets to enjoy a big Giants W. Rewarded. See, they rewarded you right there. I love it. I love it. I love it. Hopefully they can follow that up on Sunday against the Panthers. All right. Enjoy. We'll get we'll we'll link up again soon. All right, my man. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at Shopify.com/network. All lowercase. Go to Shopify.com/network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify.com/network. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. That's one of my favorite guests right there, Chris Canty. Uh, love his perspective, uh, especially now that he has that Wink Martindale connection. That's uh, I'm definitely going to be leaning on him uh, for perspective on the Giants and their defense, even more than usual, which is a, a lot. So thanks for Chris Candy on stopping by. I'm sure it's been a hectic time for him. Dude gets married, just came back. It's probably like a big whirlwind right now. Everything's probably just spinning crazy, but crazy good. I, I don't know if, if anyone out there has been married, if you if you haven't yet. The wedding is amazing. The right. It's like one of the the wedding goes by in like two minutes. That's what it feels like. The next thing you know, the, the wedding is actually over. The wedding and the wedding party feels like, well, you know, you, you get married and then an hour later, the party is over because everything is just spinning so quick. You go on this great vacation two weeks, by the way, when there's no other time in your life, you're really going to get to go away for two weeks. Right. Because usually then you end up having kids. And once you have kids, then they have school and there's all these activities. You never like. You can't just disappear for like two weeks out of that. We'll be back in two weeks. See you later. Doesn't really work that way. So it's like your one excuse to get away for two weeks. And then, uh, yeah, you got to settle back into normal life. And really, post-marriage is not much different than pre-marriage, right? Because usually you're living with the guy or girl beforehand and you have the same life. So nothing really changes once you get back. But then the kids come 
And uh, yeah, you're done. You're done. You're done. Any any free time, any two week vacation, any, you know, uh, let's take a trip down the coast, which my wife and I did uh, in California. That's that's a goner. But anyway, I just went on for two minutes about uh, marriage and nobody nobody's here for my marriage advice. You certainly shouldn't be here for my marriage advice. <laughs> Let me tell you that right now. So but what I will go and do before we get out of here is a little quick Jordan on the beat. What it's like to cover the Giants work for ESPN or cover the NFL in general. And I mentioned the other day, or the last episode maybe, or two episodes ago, about the locker room being open, and how much of a difference it was. And it is. It's great. But let me tell you what it's like when they actually win. Post-game locker room. Right? How much better that is in general. I mean, over the last five years, eight years even, there's been a lot of bad locker rooms. because. Nobody wants to go in there and sit there and answer questions about why you sucked that day. Why'd you build a lead? Why do you got why can't you guys score? So obviously it's a much better situation when they win. So Sunday in Tennessee, that was a good quality locker room, right? New regime, new hope. You got Brian Dable enjoying the victory, getting emotional. I mean, so what happens is he talks on the podium, and then afterward, there's sort of like two different parts of the locker room but when you walk through this little hallway he's standing there talking to a couple people and he starts telling a story about his grandparents and the backstory on brian dable is he was raised by his grandparents so they're you know mean the world to him now they both passed but they both passed last year like weeks or month a month or so apart Right. So now he gets this job, you know, the head coach, finally, first time in his life, by the way, he's never had been a head coach at any level, been in football. You know, he's in his what? Mid 40s. So he's been in football for basically like 20 years. The NFL, at least for the most part, something close to that. Finally gets a head coaching job and his parents, his grandparents who raised him aren't here to see it. So he, you know, and he told the story about how he's rubbing this pendant that's on his neck that has his grandma's ashes. And then he's telling a story about how he learned last last time he came to Tennessee. Like this is what made it extra special is that he was thinking about it when he last time he came to Tennessee last year with Buffalo. He found out his grandfather had passed right when they landed. And he's telling the story. And let me tell you, it's getting dusty. He's getting uh, super emotional, you know, having trouble just keeping it together, basically telling the story. That's how emotional he is, which is understandable. And then I'm sitting there, a bunch of us sitting there listening to him tell this this story and, you know, definitely uh, catches, get gets you emotional as well. Hearing someone tell the story about it, learning about his grandfather dying and then how he's rubbing this pendant for like good luck. And you see it in that celebration video that's out there in Brian Damel. He jumps up and down. He goes and he grabs something around his neck, which is ultimately was the uh, pendant with the ashes of his grandma in it and makes it and make and he's thinking about his grandparents and he looks up at the sky. So obviously a special man, you know, he's telling the story and then Kayvon Thibodeau's talking in the middle of the locker room. Sterling Shepard is, is happy on one end. He's talking. You get to stop by Xavier McKinney is reminiscing about how Dayball comes to the sideline and he says, you know, you guys want to go for it? You know, for the two-point conversion, this is beforehand. 
they're all, of course, like, you know, F yeah, no doubt. Of course we want to go for it. Players always want to go for it. They want to win. They don't care about super uber aggression. If anything, players aren't bored with super uber aggression. So just a jovial locker room. It's just such a difference when you win as compared to, you know, demoralizing losses or, or you know, imagine, think about it. The locker room in Tennessee compared to the locker room late last year after they kneel on the ball and they can't do anything against Washington or Chicago or you name the game, where they know they have no chance offensively. They're starting Mike Glennon and Jake Fromm at quarterback, and then they got to answer questions like, why can't you score? What's what's going on with the offense? Like, no, we stink. We know it. Like, the, the players know what's going on. They just can't fully say it. And so that that situation sucks for them. But let me tell you, Tennessee, you know, it was that, that was the kind of locker room that you haven't seen since really the 2016 season. Because the Giants have been off to terrible starts each of the last five years. And they turned into terrible seasons. 2016 was different. They won the opener in Dallas. Victor Cruz, game-winning touchdown. First game back in like two years. Does the salsa. Actually, they got penalized for doing the salsa because it was considered a group celebration. But anyway, you get the point. That was a good locker room. Everybody happy. It makes it just so much easier to talk to guys. Guys, are so, think about it. How much more willing are you to talk when you're in a good mood as opposed to when you're in a bad mood? That applies to the locker room for sure. Okay, that's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. We're going to do uh, Giants after dark soon. So let's send questions early next week, maybe. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, email, TikTok. You know where to find me. As always, like, subscribe. Tell your friends. Somebody put out a clip of a story I told about Kadarius Tony a few weeks ago and Brian Dable and him running laps. That's the kind of stuff that you get here and here only. That's why you should be listening to Breaking Big Blue and make sure your friends listen to Breaking Big Blue. You get nuggets like that that kind of give you insight into where the Giants are with Kadarius Tony, where the Giants are in certain situations, whether they're looking for inside linebackers that their wide receivers are still learning that playbook, that it's a tough offense to pick up. That's what I'm here for. That's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. See you next time.